Online family. Thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Patrick Fox as he shares from Acts chapter 12. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting that community here on the internet. That's you. We hope God uses it to both encourage and challenge you. We also ask that you serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. We have a special relationship with Grace Church of Sebring. Due to our connection with them, we have a bench of people prepared to minister, even when the distance between our two church campuses is over two and a half hours away. Patrick was able to come up from Sebring and share with us what God has laid on his heart from Acts chapter 12. What's great to see is the way God was working on Patrick lines up so well with what we've been learning about prayer. Our hope is that God uses this podcast to help you grow in your relationship with him. How incredible is it that God working through Patrick at our local church family can help reach our digital family? It's amazing. Let's listen in together as we learn as believers, we must go to God in our times of need. Um, and one of the exciting things that I get to do is I get to uh, teach the youth over there, but I also get to travel around and get to teach and preach. And I have a special place in my heart for this congregation and this church in general, because this is really where I got my start, if you will. Um, when I first came on to uh, the team over at Grace Church, me and uh, Ben Russell would come up here every so often, usually a couple times a month, and we would get the opportunity to teach a Bible study, and then uh, one of us would preach. And we actually would come up in the very car that uh, Sarah and Ryan drive up here in, in that, that old black Lincoln. And so it's kind of uh, cool to see it come full circle here. Um, and so I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning. We're going to be in Acts 12. And um, really kind of how I want to open up this morning is, is, how many of us in here think that we should pray more? Yeah, pretty much anywhere I go, at anywhere, or talk to any group of people, we all wish that we would pray more. We all wish that we, we would talk to God more. And so this morning, we're going to get a chance to take a look at a, a piece of Scripture that is kind of unbelievable. Um, it seems kind of crazy. We're going to see a miracle happen, and we're going to see really God move. Um, but how many of you have ever been in a situation that is completely and utterly desperate? that you are just stuck, that you don't know where to go, you don't know who to talk to, you don't know where you're going to turn next. Some of us are maybe even in those situations right now. Um, and me, as a man, it's kind of ingrained in me not to ask for help. Um, and I, don't, I, I, I like to kind of do things on my own because I like to be the hero of my own story. And so that's a difficult thing for somebody who I grew up kind of in and out of church, not really walking with the Lord, doing my own thing, um, and just, you know, being taught by the world that I should be my own hero, that I should be the hero in my story, that I can fix everything, and that I don't need anybody else's help. Um, and so for me, I uh, was a, me and my, I'm a, I have a twin brother. Um, we were adopted when we were babies, fortunately. Um, both of us were adopted. Um, and so 
uh, to my mom and dad. And then when uh, we were about four, our parents divorced. And we lived up in upstate New York. And so when we were very young, our parents divorced. Um, so we'd spend the week with our mom, spend the weekends with our dad. And so then when we were about eight, my mom got remarried and we moved down to Florida. And it was, uh, it was kind of a crazy time, but it was good. It was exciting. Um, I got to miss like three weeks of school because up there they start earlier. And down here, we kind of came down and it was really nice. Um, but so then in the summers, we would go up and spend some time with our dad. And then when we were 12 years old, um, in our adoption, what had happened was some of the paperwork wasn't filed right. And so what happened was while we were up there one summer, our dad went to court and said that he wasn't our father anymore because he didn't want to pay for child support. He didn't want to have to deal with all the circumstances. So we came home after spending this time with him up there and my mom had to sit us down and tell us that. And that was a really tough time in my life. And it was a really hard time for both me and my brother. And it was very difficult. And it was one of those times for me where I felt utterly hopeless. At 12 years old, I couldn't even really wrap my head around it. Um, but it was one of those times where I said, what, what is happening? And so, I, you know, we had been involved in a church up there. And we had gone to church. And, and we, you know, continued to go to church and, and whatnot. But I had this anger, this frustration this just brokenness inside of me that I didn't even think God could fix, that I didn't have any desire. I felt like I had to do it on my own, that I had to fix what was broken inside of me because everybody else in my life was kind of like deserting me in a sense. And it was something that I had built up in my head. And so um, it was a hard process for me for God to break me down to kind of break through that wall that I had built up in my, in my own life. And so um, I think as people of God, what I want to look at this morning is, is that in those situations, when those difficult times come in our life, and maybe you're in one now or maybe you're in a good time, but they're going to come, what do we do? Who are we running to? Who are we asking for help? And I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't seek counsel. I'm not here that you, saying that you shouldn't seek your pastors or your friends' wisdom or encouragement in those situations. But my question is, who do you run to first? Because that's really telling about where you are and, and who you look to. And so um, what I want to kind of just focus on is God's people asking for help this morning. But not just like you're asking a friend for help to move or uh, asking uh, somebody to help you carry something or, or whatever it is. It's specifically, specifically asking God for help. And that's prayer. And so um, pretty much everyone I encounter wishes that their prayer life was better, wishes that they would uh, kind of be more intentional with the time that they spend and talk to God. Um, and if that's not you, you can be dismissed now because you can go to lunch early and, you know, you probably already got all the things that I'm going to talk about this morning. Um, but because I think everybody raised their hand, I think everybody's going to stay, um, which is good. But uh, I think we as a church, we as believers, for whatever reason, we don't spend enough time asking God, pleading with God to help us move or help to, for God to come into our situations and help us with them. And so what I want you to do right now is I just want everybody to kind of like take a moment here. Uh, think of something that you, you, uh, you, you wish, you hope, or you need God to move in right now. A certain situation. Every single one of us has one right now that's going on in our lives that we need God. We need God to come into it and move in a powerful way. 
Um, what is something in your life that w- you wish God would just show up and blow the doors off of? Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a child, a healing, a hope. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a sin struggle that you continually fall into. What I, I want you to take that thing right now, and I want you to write it down, either in your Bible or on a piece of paper, or maybe it's in your phone. I want you to, to, to write it down and just kind of set it aside for a moment. And so my question, as you guys are kind of doing that, is what if God is ready and willing to work in your situation and he's just waiting for you to cry out to him? Are we taking these things to God? Because I think the only place as believers we should go, the first place, the most important place to go is to God. And so as we jump into Acts 12, we're going to see God move in a pretty incredible way. And what I want us to see this morning is that when God's people pray, when we as believers pray, we see a peace that can't compare to anything else. We get to participate in God's power and that the impossible is possible with God. And so let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and jump into the, the scripture here. And I'm just going to, to read uh, Acts 12. And it starts in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword, probably beheaded. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Verse 20, Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon 
And with one accord, they came to him, having won over Blasius, the king's chamberlain. They were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took a seat on the rostrum and began delivering uh, an address to them. Then people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and was eaten by worms and died. But the Lord, word of the Lord continued and grew, continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. And so what I want to do this morning is I really want to kind of focus in on uh, verses 1 through 18. Um, and, and the death of Herod is important. And um, as we kind of jump into it, uh, we know exactly when this happened, and we know what happened. Uh, King Herod, the son of King Herod the Great, son of Herod Agrippa, and the father of Herod Agrippa the, the second, who Paul's going to actually be on trial in front of in Acts 25 through 26. And, and here's the thing, you probably won't leave here like with that stuck in your mind because, you know, who remembers all these kings from long ago. But the reason that I tell you this, the reason why I make a point of this is because this is something that really happened. We can go back in time and see these kings and see the order of what happened. And so we're, the reason I want to point that out is because this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something that just kind of is, is put into scripture as allegory. It's something that actually happened. And so that's important for us because we see that God showed up and moved mightily in this situation. And he moved mightily in Peter's life. And so um, one of the other things we get to see here is what, what makes Herod tick, right? What makes him get up in the morning? What makes him continue working? He's hungry for power and the approval of men. And I think that could probably be true of a lot of, you know, leaders nowadays and a lot of, you know, even people. Um, and so Herod wanted these people to like him so bad that he was literally willing to kill for it. Um, and so we see in, those, in the first three verses, uh, we're coming off the heels of James being beheaded. His head got chopped off. And now they go and they grab Peter. And now Peter's thrown in jail. Um, and four squads would have been about four, there would have been four soldiers in each squad. So there's about 16 soldiers. And so why in the world would one guy, Peter, need 16 soldiers? I'm a little more interactive. I work with youth, so this is, you know. Why, why do you think you would say 16 soldiers to guard this one guy? Yeah, it's important. Yeah, because this is the guy that's really, he saw that the Jewish people loved that he killed uh, James, but now he's got another guy who's like, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill this guy on Passover. Who else was killed on Passover? Does anybody know? Here's a, here's a fun hint. If you ever don't know the question in church, just say Jesus, and chances are you're going to be right. Um, and so, so what we see here is that, that he takes Peter captive, and he, he puts 16 people around him because Christians were known for getting or walking out of jail, right? We see in Acts 5, um, Peter and the apostles get arrested. They get thrown in jail. The Spirit of the Lord shows up, and the doors were opened, and they went back to preaching the gospel. And so Herod's like, not this time. I'm, I'm putting an army around this guy, and he's not going anywhere. And it was very important that, 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 that he kept him. And so uh, this chapter starts with Herod killing James, and it ends with God killing Herod. And so what we really want to focus on this morning is what happened in between those two events. Herod arrests Peter, and so now he's sitting in a jail cell 
But what was the church at Antioch doing? Um, in, in chapter 11, at the end, it talks about the church of Antioch and how they're coming together, how they believe in the Lord, how they're starting to become a church and, and starting to, to live for Jesus and become Christians. What are they doing for Peter right now? What's it say in the text? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but what prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Were they praying for his release? Were they praying for his comfort? It doesn't really exactly say what they were praying for him, but we know that the church had been identified as Christians. We see that in, in the last chapter. They were a group of people identified by their habits. Uh, there were different races, different backgrounds, different problems, but they have something in common to be identified as an organization, as believers. And so the Jewish people didn't like them. The government's persecuting them. And in the midst of all of it, they are somehow, some way growing. This message that seems like it shouldn't be very popular is becoming more and more popular. And they're gathering, gathering together to pray. And the object of their prayer is Peter. Can you see this? Peter's there sitting in this dark prison cell. He's got soldiers on each side. He's chained to two of them. And then there's 14 other guards standing around the prison cell. How do you think uh, Peter's doing at this time? How do you think he's feeling at this moment? He, he knows James just had his head cut off. He knows that he's dead, and he knows that that's probably his fate as well. But how's he doing? You think he's probably a little anxious? Probably scared? Maybe preparing for the worst? No, what's it say he's doing? It says he's sleeping. Taking a nap. And here's the thing. He's, he's, he's sleeping hard because we're going to see that the angel, when it shows up, you know, he lights up the room, but he still has to kick him to wake up. So he's in a pretty deep slumber. Um, and so what happens here is that he is in a deep sleep. He's content. He's right where God had him. And he knew that. For me, I don't know about you guys, but when I get a little bit of a sore throat, I can't sleep at all. Uh, it keeps me up all night. But this guy is out like light. And so my first point this morning is that when God's people pray, there is incomprehensible peace. And, and, and that's in uh, verses 1 through 6. So what is prayer? If you had to put a definition on prayer, what is it? Prayed for his freedom, yep. They're praying, yeah, they're, but they're praying for him as he's going. But if, if you had to just put a definition on prayer, what would it be? Yeah, yeah. The simplest way I can put it, talking to God, right? And, and that's what it is. And so here, the people of God are earnestly talking to God about Peter. And as a result, the text goes out of its way to show us Peter's at peace. He's sleeping. He's good. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, it says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Peter here has more peace than even Herod does at this point. Even though Herod, he's holding all the cards. He has all the power in the situation. He has all the power in the land, but he needs people to like him. He needs more power. And here's the thing, guys. There's no peace in that. Peter's able to lay his head down on the pillow because he knows God's in control. God's got this, right? And so... There is, no, there is peace in knowing the one who controls all the power. Herod thinks he's got all the cards. Herod thinks he's in control of the situation, but really who's in control is God. And so Peter, who is seeking God, who is trusting God, gets to experience peace in his power. And the truth is living in the will of God, 
is the softest pillow there is. When you go to bed at night knowing that God controls all things and that he loves you and you are right in the fairway of his revealed will for you, that you can go to bed and sleep like a baby. And because you, you know God holds tomorrow too. And so you can trust him with today. And so uh, I don't know about you, but that's easier said than done, right? Because a lot, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I go to bed to lay down, I usually go to bed an hour early because I know that I'm going to be up thinking for an hour thinking in my head, replaying, uh, maybe it's a to-do list, maybe it's, it's money, maybe it's kids for some of you guys, health, your boss, uh, your numbers at work, maybe you're replaying conversations in your head, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your frustrations. And for some reason, instead of taking those things to God, we choose to wrestle with them. And we choose to let them roll around in our head. And so have you ever heard the, the, you know, the Christian cliche, uh, give, it, give it to God? Uh, it comes from 2 Peter 5, 6. It says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God says, what do you need help with right now? He says, what's going on in your life that you're not bringing to me? He says, I'm right here. Guys, the way we give things to God is that we as Christians have the supernatural ability to take our worries and turn them into prayers. And so instead of worrying about something, we can turn it into a prayer. Each and every believer has that ability. But why don't we do it more? Why don't we do that in our lives? Why don't we take it to God? And you might read this chapter and say, well, yeah, that's, that's easy for Peter to say. That's easy for, for us to see in Peter. But what about James? Because uh, I'm sure people were praying for him, right? I'm sure the church was gathering and praying for him and, and wanting his, his rescue, right? But make no mistake about it, James has more peace than anyone in this passage. I promise you this, he's not up in heaven frustrated, saying, oh man, really God, my head? Of all things you took, you took my head? No, God is sovereign over James' death too. Because I get it, man, if, if I'm Peter chained to these guards and my buddy just lost his head, I'm asking God, are you there? Are you sleeping? God, I'm, I'm living for you, and I'm getting thrown in prison. I'm getting persecuted. Uh, my friends are dying. What's going on? What are you doing up there? And the thing I think that we struggle with when it comes to these things is we struggle to think God is good in those situations. We struggle to think, is God good? Sitting in that jail cell, if we put ourselves in his shoes, would we still think God is good? Would we still trust God in that situation? And all Peter needs to do, and it's the same thing that we can do as believers, is we need to look backwards and look forwards. And, and what I mean by that is when, when you question whether God's good in a situation, look backwards and see the cross where God sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the debt that we owed. That Jesus, fully man and fully God, felt every thorn, every whip, every nail, and God did that for Peter, and God did that for me and you. And so you might be thinking, yeah, well, uh, Jesus got raised from the dead, and that's the looking forward part because guess what? He's going to do that with us too. And so nobody is in heaven saying that isn't fair. Heaven is the great equalizer for anything that's going to happen to you on this earth. There is nothing that can happen to you down here that you're going to get up there in all the glory that you don't deserve and say, that wasn't fair. I got a raw deal. And so James isn't up there saying that either. Look backward and look forward and remember that God is good. Would you experience peace in prison if you were Peter right now? How's your prayer life? How, how are things going in that? Are you bringing things to God? Because here's the thing, God's desires, God desires us to pray, not so that we know what we need, but so that we know we need him. 
guys, people who pray for peace don't always find it. You know, I've been uh, working at the church now for about longer than I'd like, eh, probably about eight years. And so, and I've seen tons and tons of people come through. And one of the things that I've kind of uh, realized is that people that pray for peace don't always find it right away. It's not an instant thing. We live in a very instant society where we can drive through or we can put something in the microwave. I don't know about you, but if I, I buy something that says ready in five minutes, and then you look, there's an oven instruction and a microwave instruction. And I don't know about you, but I'm sticking in the microwave because I, I want it now. And so that's the society that we live in. And here's the thing. For people who pray every day, it's just another day of trusting God. It's what they have been doing for all of their days. And they're basically just saying, hey, God, it's me again. God isn't like a genie. We don't get to just kind of throw something up to God and, and just expect him to answer right away. And so for somebody who prays every day like Peter, he was content in that jail cell. He was able to lay his head down on his pillow because he says, whether I'm in jail today or tomorrow or I was free yesterday, God, you're in control of it all. And I trust you in it. I know you're going to get me through this. I know you're going to do something in it. And maybe he's going to lose his head and maybe he's not, but he's not going to be worried about that. He says, God, I trust you. You're in control. So let's recap where we are. Peter's in prison. He's sandwiched between two guards surrounded by 14 other soldiers, and he's about to lose his head, and he's fast asleep. And then we get to uh, verses 7 through 11, and it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And they went out. And they walk right by all these guards, all of these other things. So what happened here? God in his sovereignty is stacking the deck against himself. And then he's flexing and showing his might. It's not like God is saying, oh no, not Herod Agrippa, not 16 soldiers. What am I going to do? No, he says, I've got an angel for that. And he's going to walk right out because God is God. And so, so my second point is that when God's people pray, we participate in God's power. Prayer works. And when we pray, we literally invite the power of God into the situation. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that a lot and a lot more? Something we do every time we gather, whether it's a church service or or whatever at the church, is we pray. Not because it's a part of the service, not because of anything. It's because it's important. And not only is it important, we know that it works. And so we can't cut corners when it comes to our prayer lives because we are literally closing out the power of God in our lives, and that is foolishness. We need to keep that open communication with God. Here, Herod killed James, and Peter escapes. So Herod might be tempted to think the score is 1-1, right? But God is sovereign over the death of James, and he's working in that too. The score is actually God 2, Herod 0. And my point is that God always wins. And prayer is an opportunity to partner with his winning. And so God isn't uh, struggling in this situation. He's still seated. He was seated at the flood and he's seated now. He isn't having to sit back and talk to the Holy Spirit and to the Son saying, all right, guys, what's the plan? These 16 guards, this is going to be tough. No, in in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so my question is, uh, the way that I look at it, in a sense, is I coach wrestling at the high school down in Sebring, and uh, we we have a little kids uh, practice too. So we have kids from all the way or like age like three all the way up to middle school. Um, and during water breaks or whatever, 
inevitably the kids want to jump on you and tackle you and, 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 and kind of choke you and elbow you and do all kinds of crazy things. And for a time, you just kind of let them do it. You know, you just kind of go with the flow of it. But when it's time to get started, you flex your sovereignty. And that's what God was doing here. He's saying, you think that you're winning, but I'm doing something bigger in this. Um, and so the, it, I look at it like when I'm, I'm coaching wrestling and, and you see these little kids and they're getting frustrated and they're having difficulties and they won't ask for help. And here's the thing, guys. That's okay when you're four or five, but it's not okay when you're 40 and 50. God is standing right there. He wants, your, he wants you to bring things to him. He wants you to hand them over to him. So why would we rather struggle and wrestle with it ourselves instead of asking God to come into it? If the church at Antioch would have just looked around and would have said, oh man, what are we going to do? Maybe we'll vent our frustrations to each other. Or maybe we'll hop on Facebook and we'll write a post about it. Or maybe we'll even kind of simplify it even more and hop on Twitter and tweet about it. What would have happened if that was the case? What if they did that? Here's the thing. What if we, more than we talked, more than we complained, more than we vented, more than we posted, more than we wrote, what if we prayed? What if we took all the time that we did all those things and turned them into prayers? What would change in our life? What would happen? John Piper said this, uh, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Guys, we have time. And I'm not saying it's easy. If you just expect there to be time in your lives where you're going to be like, oh, I have an extra 20 minutes now and I'm going to pray to God, that ain't going to happen. You're going to fill that time. If you don't schedule time to talk to God, if you don't schedule time into your schedule to say, this is for me and God, everything else is getting blocked out. I'm turning off my phone. I'm not turning on the TV. I'm not listening to anything else. I'm going to get with God. It's not going to happen. I deal with you students who think they're busy, right? They get up in the morning, they go to school, they have practice, and I'm not trying to belittle that. I know they are busy, but at the same time, I tell them all the time, you have more free time now than you ever will. It doesn't get easier. You're not going to find more time in your day. And so uh, make no mistake about it. What happens here in the text is a miracle. And here's the thing. When you need a miracle, pray for a miracle. Just know that that miracle, you might, that the miracle that you might get may be God giving you peace in the situation, but it may be losing your head too. We don't know what God's plan is. We don't know exactly what's going to go on. That God, instead of changing your situation, he might change you in your situation. Far too often, I think, whenever we're in a difficult time in our lives, we're praying for God, get me out of this. God, get me through this. God, get me through this. When really our prayer should be, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? God, what are you doing in this situation? And so uh, he may say that he's going to leave you in this situation a little bit longer so that you can have peace that doesn't make sense to the world so that people can look at you and say, how did you get through that? How did you face that difficult time? And so, uh, I don't know how God will answer it, but I know what I do know is that prayer is the right first step. And so Peter is walking around Jerusalem like he just woke up from a dream, realizing that God broke him out of jail. And, and we see that in verses uh, 12 through 14. He runs to where he knows. He runs to the, the, this family. And imagine that your legacy was Rhoda, because what it says in verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. She's so excited that she runs off and doesn't even let Peter in. Could you imagine that being your legacy in the Bible? Yeah. Um, 
and then we see that they're literally praying for Peter. And this girl says, God answered your prayers. And what's their response? No, he didn't. No way. That must be an angel or something, because there's no way that's Peter standing at the front door. It can't be him. Which kind of brings me to, to, to my third point, is that when God's people pray, the impossible is possible. Here's the thing. We often ask God for things, but we need to be open to what God wants in the situation. I'm not saying don't pray for the things that, of your heart. I'm just saying let God work on your heart to change them to be the things that, that he wants. Guys, we need to know that regardless of what we are asking God for, we can trust him in those things. That sometimes Peter gets out of prison and sometimes James dies, but all the time God is good and that he loves you and he desires a relationship with you and he's there for you when you need him. And there are going to be times when we pray to him and he changes our hearts according to the things that he desires. Guys, right now there's people in Sebring, there's people in Lakeland, there's people all over praying for you praying for your hearts, praying for your minds, that God would meet you right where you are. And so one of the things that, that kind of like stood out to me in this is, is going back to my situation when I was like a 12-year-old kid, not understanding what God was doing in my life, having difficulties, running away from God, doing my own thing, not walking with the Lord, partying, hanging out with people I knew I shouldn't be uh, hanging out with, doing things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. The whole time I knew that, I knew that I shouldn't be doing those things but I did them anyways. I was running from God. I was confused. I was lost. I was hurt. I was scared. Flash to, uh, I moved to Gainesville when I was about 20 years old. I had just gotten out of a super long-term relationship. I dated this girl all the way from the beginning of high school to college. And I, I, I knew for a fact, I'm like, this is the girl that I'm going to marry. This is, this is the girl. This is it. And we broke up. And my whole life was poured into that relationship. That's what I wanted. That's what, where my focus was. I didn't care about God. I didn't care about any of that. And then I moved to Gainesville to get away from everything. And that's when I had really started walking with the Lord again. And I thought that's what God had for me. I thought, man, I'm, I'm trying to walk with the Lord. I'm going to go to Gainesville. And then I backslid. I had the opportunity to go to a Great Commission Bible Institute down in Sebring with our pastor uh, the year after that. I had the opportunity to go the year before, but I chose Gainesville because that's what I wanted. And I thought that I could stamp God's approval on that thing. And so after a lot of prayer and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain from that year, I still struggled. And I, still, and I had the opportunity to go to GCBI, and I took that opportunity. And here's what I'm trying to say. In that moment, in that span of eight years where I, didn't, I couldn't find any good in what God had done in my life, said, God, why would you want me to grow up without a father? That's tough. That's difficult. But now I can look back and kind of see what God was doing. And here's the thing. It wasn't even for me. Now I have the opportunity to speak truth and speak life into kids who grew up without a father. Who, and I know that difficulty that they face. I know that the pain that they're going through. And so my, my hope, my prayer is for you guys, when there's difficulties, Go to God with those things and trust that he's in control of them, that he's still working in them. If there's still pain in the situation, God's probably not done yet. He's still working. He's still going at it. And so my prayer is to not necessarily pray your way out of a situation, but pray for God's wisdom in the situation. Because looking back at it as a 12-year-old kid, I would have said, God, get me out of this situation. Give me my dad back. Give me, a, give me a father figure in my life. But I wouldn't have had the opportunity I have now to do what I do and have the opportunity to reach the people that I can reach that a lot of people can't. And so at 12 years old, 
it seemed bad. It seemed hard. But now looking back, God was preparing me. And God might be preparing you right now. So, so in summary, when God's people pray, there's incomprehensible peace. Guys, as believers, we can have peace that God is in control, even in the tough times, even in the difficult things, even in the things we don't understand. But not only that, it's we can participate in God's power. How many of y'all have ever done jobs with your kids? Does, do you get that job done faster with your kids, or does it take longer? Way longer, right? Yeah, for sure. But here's the thing. Why do you do it? Because you get to spend time with them. You get to walk alongside of them. And that's the same thing that we get to do with God when we, we open up our hearts and we pray to him. God doesn't need us to get things done. God doesn't need us. He's gonna, he could get it done with a snap of his fingers, but he likes us to participate in what he's doing. And then uh, not only that, that we get to witness the impossible. And I think all of us have seen miracles in here in our lives, and we've seen God's fingerprints on things that we don't understand. Um, but what I want you guys to do right now, the, way, the best way I think that we can end this morning is I want you to take that thing that you had in your mind, that thing you wrote down or you put in your phone or whatever, and I just want to take some time at the end here to just kind of pray about that. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and close in prayer, and then I just want to give you guys a couple of minutes to kind of just reflect on that thing. I want you guys to block out everything else, and I want you to just focus on that one thing, that one thing that's going on in your life that you need God to just jump into, and I want you to just really pray about it. I want you to focus on that, and I want you to just have some time with God. So let me go ahead and, and pray, and then I'll, I'll give you that time. Heavenly Father, I'm just uh, so thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for uh, the people that you've put in here. God, I, I know that they're, they're wrestling with things right now. I know that they have difficulties in their lives. Uh, I don't know each and every situation, but you do. And so, Father, I just, I just pray this morning that you would block out any distractions that might be going on. I pray that we would be able to focus on you and focus on that situation and really just hand it over to you. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 30th time, Lord. Let us just get alone with you because that's what it's all about. We need to meet with you this morning. We need you to come into our situations. We need you to come into our lives. And Father, I just pray that this is just the start of something, something new. Pray that this is the start of, of us willing and, and, and wanting to, to bring everything to you because you're a good father, because you love us, because you care about us, because you want us to succeed and you want us to be with you and you love to participate in that. So Father, just be with us this morning. Quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, let us focus on you for a moment. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the internet, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.